two, one. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. <laughs> Nobody else did the awkward laugh. Okay, I am your host, Ian Taylor, and welcome to the 106th episode of First Days with Maury. Is 106 or... No, I guess it is 106. Wow. That is crazy. This episode, titled Space Force, uh, we're going from actual wars to sci-fi wars that may or may not have ties to real wars and real-world issues. Real-world issues, to be more precise. Yeah. I, I'm I, your... I just realized I could have called it Space Farce, and I missed the opportunity. Oh, ah, wow. that's yeah. all right. If, if it was like parody movies, maybe that'd be more fitting, like Spaceballs. Sequel! <laughs> yeah, there you go, sequel material. The quest for more podcast episodes. Exactly! Yeah. We've got so but much material. For all it's worth. All right, uh, we've got a few guests join us tonight. Uh, first off, uh, my of course, our brilliant co-host, musician, artist, and whatnot, Devin King. Our buddy from Nova Scotia, Aaron Kramers. Uh, heavy metal musician and performance artist and pro-society clown, uh, Nathan Shapiro, not to be mistaken for Ben Shapiro. And last but not least, join us once again, our amazing filmmaker friend from the U.S., Stephen Beeson. How are you guys all doing tonight? Oh, man, happy to be here. Uh, great yeah i might tune in in and out but i am doing awesome i have seen all these movies numerous of times so chances are i'm going to have an opinion well everybody does they're like assholes um and that's (laughs) we're we're, we're all assets here yeah (laughs) people like to lick assholes certainly says a lot about society um (laughs) (laughs) you know what's funny and just really briefly because i i I do have a little bit of an intro as we go into the the three films tonight Uh, um it's kind of funny because last last time we met not last week um but last time we did this we were talking about uh World War Two, World War One films from the German perspective. We were looking at films that kind of, uh, you know, portrayed a side that maybe we as uh, North Americans uh, might not be privy to or might not have as much uh, knowledge about. And what was funny was we we kind of spent the episode going back and forth um, about the spectacle um of of war and can a film truly be anti-war when it's you know the nature of cinema and and the cinematic language to to make things as big and as you know spectacular as as possible can something be anti-war if the music swells and if there is this sort of hero's journey like storytelling demands and you know at the end of the episode i proposed um we could do like apocalypse now we could do um something like brian de palma's casualties of war which is actually a true story um about a vietnamese uh, or a u.s army unit um in vietnam and this one man who stands against his superiors um as they engage in these you know human atrocities against this young woman that's a prisoner of war and um I was like, that could be a really interesting angle to look at, like, actual anti-war films 
Um, but we're going to be talking about Starship Troopers tonight. <laughs> <laughs> also a Nancy War movie. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> great, great segue. Holy shit! Yeah, no. Um, uh, that felt like a Norm Macdonald bit for a second, almost. I know, right? Yeah. Um, Just weaved it in there. <laughs> so we're, we're man, it reminds me of that tragedy. About... I know we're gonna, <laughs> or so the Germans would have us believe. Um, we're <laughs> so we're gonna be talking about Starship Troopers. Um, we're gonna be talking about Edge of Tomorrow with uh, Tom Cruise. We're gonna be talking about uh, District Nine, um, and just really quickly because I'm about to introduce the first movie of the night, Starship Troopers. I think it is worth just throwing this out there because you know we have talked about uh paul verhoven <laughs> before a goat that uh, he is he's a goat um we've talked about total yeah. recall we've talked about um showgirls and one thing that i brought up uh about showgirls when we reviewed that was there was actually a documentary called you don't know me <laughs> which is about the sort of cultural impact of this really trashy movie and, you know, how it's affected people. And I was actually, like, kind of watching this and learning about, like, Paul uh, Paul Verhoeven, his, like, when Basic Instinct came out, there was a lot of, like, anti-hate uh, groups that were protesting Basic Instinct because it was supposedly problematic to portray the Sharon Stone character as the villain when she's also bisexual or presented that way. And sort of the irony um, that Showgirls has now been almost embraced by the drag community and has been kind of like reclaimed as this big performance thing. And they're actually like, a lot of gay bars and drag queens and stuff that will do bits out of showgirls. And it's kind of been embraced as this like LGBT kind of like campy masterpiece in a weird way. Um, or a disaster piece, if any, how you look at it. Sure. Yes. Exactly. Um, but I will say like, just briefly, I mean, there was a tragedy um, that just happened uh, in a gay bar in Colorado. And I know we're kind of talking about, uh, fantasy sort of sci-fi violence tonight and it's all in good fun but um, I do just want to say you know our, our heart goes out to the victims and I think it's important to talk about that also because you know we're, we're talking about kind of stuff that is alluding to real world violence in a fantastical sort of allegorical sense um, and unfortunately it's not just bugs and aliens you know and it's a really unfortunate thing that happened this past week and yeah i just i think it bears uh repeating that it is a really senseless tragedy um mm -hmm. and so yeah i i just i know that's kind of a weird segue but i think it i think it deserves uh saying um yeah mm. And we hope to make your lives better by listening to this podcast, as always, though. So, 
absolutely. Feeling a little downtrodden. Maybe it's time to give some kids some rifles and head <laughs> off to outer space because it's starting yeah, yeah, yeah. time. Get your Steven, to Mars. take it away. Uh, <laughs> Starship Troopers. Um, let's see here. Okay. Starship Troopers is a 1997 sci-fi action movie uh, directed uh, directed by Paul Verhoeven, uh, also um, written by Ed Neumeier, um, who would actually go on to do the Starship Troopers sequels. <laughs> um, this is based on the novel by uh, Robert A. Heinland, um, novel of the same name. Um, it is a story about Johnny Rico, which is his real name, I swear to God. Um, he is a young, hip and happening guy in the 23rd <laughs> century. He has a lot of perfectly uh, conventionally attractive young friends um, and they are serving in the military under this new world order um, to obtain their citizenship so military service is completely mandatory um, they are sent to exterminate these giant cockroach creatures um, to kind of tie into my earlier point, actually, uh, Neil Patrick Harris uh, is one of the stars um, playing uh, a game, <laughs> which I always find it funny how that, you know, he's a very openly gay man, and yet he's always cast as this sort of womanizer. Man. Well, I think that's why he always gets away with being a womanizer, yeah, because what the women on set just know, like, okay, this is clearly an act. <laughs> I yeah, know. you no, keep getting away funny, with though. it. Oh, that's out. <laughs> we know the answer. Uh, also starring Casper Van Dyne, uh, who was a daytime soap opera star, uh, <laughs> and Denise Richards of Tammy and the T-Rex. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So the absolutely. film was actually not well received on release. Uh, you don't I say. What? I, think, <clears throat> I think it was a moderate box office success if that, um, but critics were very harsh on it. And one of the interesting things about this film is that uh, it was d derided for promoting fascism, which I think is kind of funny no. because I think the satire is pretty obvious in hindsight. Absolutely. Uh, Speaking of in hindsight uh, and, retrospect and uh, <laughs> retrospective, um, Quentin Tarantino, Ari Aster, um, a number of famous Hollywood directors have actually come out and supported this film and kind of uh, given it a renewed interest and kind of cult following. Um, in the years since, it's kind of become this misunderstood cult film, like a lot of other Paul Verhoeven films around this time. Uh, yeah, what do we, <laughs> what do we think about this one? So I uh, saw this film. Oh, sorry, you go first, Evan. All right, you go ahead, Ian. All right, 
I saw this film years ago. Like, I'm talking like I was like 12, 13 years old. Like, everybody in uh, public school was talking about it. They were just like, oh my god, like, Starship Troopers is like this really cool, funny movie. And like, you should watch it. It's got all these big bugs in it. And of course, as a Godzilla fan, giant creatures getting shot at is something I hadn't <laughs> seen. But like, as a kid, I was just like, this is really stupid. <laughs> But, like, what people, like, nowadays say, like, oh, it's, like, this genius piece of satire is anti-militaristic. And I was thinking, like, based off of memory, I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> sure it is. All right, guys. Like, <laughs> let's not see that. But I must apologize because I must have been the biggest fucking idiot as a kid because the satire is so heavy-handed in this movie to the point where people... Quite literally, or inches away from Sig hailing, if they tilt their hands a little bit to the left in the saluting <laughs> or, scene, <laughs> or, or, or just look at how Neil Patrick Harris is, you know, dressed. Yeah, wearing fucking Hugo Boss like Nazi commandant. All the soldiers oh, are wearing like Nazi commandant outfits, and yeah. But I oh, think yeah. the element that makes the satire work for me. Is that it feels like the director also knows it's not subtle. <laughs> it feels like the director is very much in on the joke. Like the silly propaganda no, segments he, oh, totally. in particular were so, so funny. Like it's <laughs> like, of course, like the fake well, laughter scene in the opening, the scene where the guys are like, hey, kids, you want to carry these live weapons with live ammunition? Yeah, that sounds great. Well, you also, you also, you also have to remember that that whole sequence that uh, everybody talks about where it's like, I'm doing my part. That is pretty much shot, uh, shot for shot from Triumph, like Triumph of, of the Will. Will. Yeah, a lot of movies were inspired by Inferno's, but yeah. Propaganda oh, yeah. And it's completely taking the piss out of them and just Absolutely. making a mockery of it. So it's kind of funny how people watch this and didn't, get that at the time <laughs> well, yeah because it's so unsubtle i think part of it is because we've seen so many satires and we've seen so many like we we they're like film fairy has brought like an eye to cinema that we kind of look at films in a different way like we look at them in the sense of like how are they taking apart this kind of culture how are they influenced by that kind of culture like i think that helps us see like the less subtle satire of the film I think my biggest problem with Starship Troopers is that, like, when it isn't leaning on the satire, I I think parts of it are legitimately kind of bad, personally. And it, it, it bugs me that people kind of blow it all off as satire, where I don't know if that's entirely true. I think the first think half is. is way yeah. better than the second half. Like, as soon as it got to them shooting the bugs, ironically, that was probably the part where I was the most bored. Like, I just, mm. I love the propaganda. I love the uh, guy, the amputee being like, ah, oh, it's a great service. You're going to do a great job. I love all Clancy Brown chewing up the scenery. But as soon as it got to them shooting bugs, I'm like, is this still a joke? Like, I don't know. It just feels poorly put together at this point. <laughs> like, it kind you know, of, it's just like, I don't know. Your movie can't all, like, your movie can't be all message. You know, you got to have some fun in it. You know, you're I'm, not, it, I'm not saying it can't be fun. fun. I'm not yeah, saying it can't be fun. No. It's just that's not a good example of fun. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I like, don't know. I think it, it like you know, it's got you know, you've got the satire, you've got the comedy of that satire, but then you know, you've got people blowing up bugs, and it's it, it's it's a good time. I, I just found it kind of repetitive. Like I think 
hive mind villains in general are just kind of boring to me. And it's kind of just a lazy excuse to be like, oh, if you destroy this part uh, in their collective, every other part of the collective dies with it. It, that kind of feels like a way of the writers just going like, well, we don't have to write <laughs> like any consequence for defeating these villains. And Starship I, Troopers I handles it a little better than, say, Edge of Tomorrow, where it's just on the planet. It's not like Galaxy Y, the aliens go away. It's like on the planet, they all kind of crumble once they take the, the brain that they censored the probing of. <laughs> But it doesn't quite fully cover it. That well, was great too. Here's, here's the thing that I, I think you're maybe missing here, Ian. Oh, I, I think, aside from the propaganda, when you actually get to, like, the story beats of um, the sort of romance subplot, uh, and all these characters are, like, together, <laughs> you have, like, yeah. a love story square instead I of a triangle matching tattoos yeah no here's yeah. the thing that's so intentional that's so on purpose because there's <sighs> oh very much like a, okay it, it, it's shot like a soap opera it's shot like beverly hills 90210 and this is something this is something that oh, i yeah. want to bring up is like I have to respect the hell out of Paul Verhoeven because how do you cast people that you're basically making fun of? These actors are not. Yeah. No, th these actors are not great. They are cast. Hey, Clancy Brown, fuck they, you! Okay, <laughs> Clancy Brown was fantastic. Michael Ironside, come on. I mean, no, no, no. Neil Patrick was pretty good. Guys. I actually think he was always good. Yeah. I, I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about Casper Van Dyne. I'm talking about, like, Denise Richards. It's a weird day where Denise Richards gives a more convincing performance in Taming the T-Rex than this movie. I'm not even taking well, that back. See, I'm not here, even joking. Here, here's the problem. I don't see, think that it's bad on purpose, well, though. It feels no, incompetent. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's not incompetent. That's the whole I point. I don't agree These with that. stereotypically... <laughs> conventionally attractive boring mostly white people like that all ties yeah. into the satire <sighs> then you're the, making fun uh, of no no 100 they're and they're they're, they're like lit perfectly the aryan yeah. like that whole master race thing that hitler wanted like that's the whole joke i haven't seen a director who has cast people that are so empty and like dead behind the Boy, that's the actor's oh, fault. It's, it's, I don't agree that's no, no, intentional. No, 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 no. That's purposeful counting. It's very purposeful. It's very purposeful it, casting, yeah. There's a lot of... There's a, but there's, there's some actors that give way better performances than others. Well, Michael Ironside <laughs> point. is a better uh, actor. I mean, he's Yeah, that's true. Clancy Brown's a better actor. Well, but those guys aren't cast for the, you know... Like they're not cast the same way that your lead performances with like Casper Van Dyne and, and Denise Richards are. Like they're cast because they're the actual talent. Like, <laughs> like you know, Dean Norris. I uh, I have to agree to disagree on this one. No, I I sex think. Gifts. I mean, I think the <laughs> sex gifts. I I do think it's purposeful. I think another example of a film that kind of does the same thing and it was very misinterpreted upon its release as well 
um, was Southland Tales. You have like Sean William Scott. Okay, hold on. We're not comparing this to Southland Tales. Okay, I, we're not. hundred percent. <laughs> Sean William Scott is like he's basically known for being Stifler. You have The Rock. You have the chick who played Buffy. It's what that's all it is. It's like we're making fun of these people and making fun of the kind of vapid, uh, their vapid shallowness of society. And we're casting all these stereotypically attractive people who are not exactly the greatest actors, but that's the whole point. Like, I think I know it isn't, I don't know. I agree well, with that. I mean, I f- it feels like the director. I don't know. It feels like it, is that the case, or is that the case of the director being like, I can turn these actors into great actors. They're just miscasting their roles. I can give them these great performances. I mean, Richard Kelly said that in an interview that he thought like the actors in his movie were genuinely misunderstood, and that they were pigeonholed into playing like the same roles over and over again. They wanted them to come out of their shell. Like he openly admitted that in an interview. And it, kind of feels like the same case with this feels like paul fear was just like oh yeah like I, i'm a great director i could get great performances out of these <laughs> young actors that <laughs> do not have much of a great track I mean, record I, except I, for Tammy the t-rex of course masterpiece material <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if i agree with that side of it that being said despite my issues i did enjoy it overall uh <laughs> The parts that were funny were well hilarious, and <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I think even like you know, if we're if we're putting you know that that they're making fun of the whole you know like white Aryan whatever, we're putting that aside. Paul Verhoeven is so undeniably campy across his films. Absolutely, and oh, that absolutely. kind of that kind of thing is intentional, and it's like you know, like you see that in fu- you see that in fucking RoboCop. You know, you see that in RoboCop. I feel like that's oh, part yeah. of like his yeah. origins as a filmmaker, but exactly. And I think to deny that, like, to deny that it isn't intentional camp in this one would be like would be oh, foolish. Oh no, it is. Like, it's just I'm not the biggest fan of camp all the time. I suppose I I'm not I'm not either. But I think that Verhoeven in a lot of his films just does such a great job of balancing it. Because if something's all camp, like I hate Bos Lerman. I'm not a fan of Bos Lerman. Yeah, Bos Lerman's yeah. Bos Lerman. The great Gatsby could go all. fuck itself. <laughs> I'm really yeah. not a fan of that adaptation. Yeah, no, Bos Lerman's all camp. This is like this is balanced. You know, as balanced as RoboCop or um, uh, Total Recall is. You know, oh, Total Recall is his best oh, movie. Yeah. I I stand by that still. Yeah. It, that was the thing yeah. too. Like Total Recall, I watched that movie and that is a masterpiece of special it effects is. like the practical effects look incredible apparently there was cgi in it but i didn't notice it which for a 90s movie is mind-blowing this film kind of looks like shit in comparison sequence. in my opinion and yes i guess well, like it's supposed to look like a soap opera apparently but not even in the visual effects which we'll get to that in a bit just the way it's shot just felt it, like you guys said like bland and lifeless and flat and like the lightning is never particularly i do not agree that it's intentional no i'm sorry i feel Uh, like that was a case of either like he didn't shoot and that you're wrong i feel like it's a mix of like he was he he didn't know how to shoot in real locations because a lot of this is shot in real locations he didn't know in real locations i mean not sets because like robocop and total recall that's all sets like all the time 100 percent 
Well, and but... I mean, there is okay. Like back up because you're talking about you didn't notice the CGI in Total Recall. I did. I honestly didn't notice it. I honestly. Where Arnold Schwarzenegger walks through the X-ray machine and you see his skeleton, like that is so campy and like I nonsensical. Honestly, thought it looked good. <laughs> I thought it looked better than any of the bug effects in this movie. <laughs> if I'm being honest. I just, but I don't blame any of the that effects. That is a real, artists. like, early CG effect yeah. in Total Recall. Most of it's practical, but that is the one CG one. Um, but yeah, the Sorry. CGI just definitely feels kind of dated in this, compared to some other films that were out at the time. Well, Galaxy Quest came out just a, a few years after this, although I think it had may have, maybe more of a budget in some sense. Um, I'm not it sure. It definitely, it definitely had more of a budget. Well, hang on, hang on. Let me, let me just that. Yeah. Galaxy Quest budget was $45 million. Starship Troopers budget, $100 million. Really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. $100 million, especially okay. from the late 90s? Well, it, it shows how much uh, progress happened in just a few short years, because Galaxy Quest's CGI actually holds up beautifully. Well, um, that, that's just it. I think it, I don't blame the effects artists. I blame the fact that the technology just wasn't quite there yet. If you compare this to, sure. say, the first two Jurassic Park movies, I think Steven Spielberg knew deep down that, like, the visual effects were there, but they weren't quite the bee's knees yet. So he worked and, uh, around that. And Men in Black also came out just a few years later, which would be another great uh, bug, you know, movie to do at some God, point. I love, God, I love Men in Black. <laughs> oh, the first oh, yeah. one's so good. So, this is my first time seeing this movie in its entirety. I remember wanting to see it when I was really, really young, because... Like nine, the late 90s is all about bug movies in space. Like I was just on a kick of those and I wanted to see this one, but I wasn't allowed to. Um, where I know other people, it's like um, their dads were like a huge fan of this film and they showed it to their kids or whatever. And looking back, seeing this movie, I could tell how that influenced their personality. Like these uh, very militaristic type people. Um, which is, not, which is not, it, it's, it's ironic how, you know, the, the irony or the satire might have been lost on them to an extent. Um <laughs> but yeah, watching this now, um, I'm gonna steal a line from Robocop and say, I like it. <laughs> I'd buy that for a well, dollar. Good here, review. Here, here's my thing, um, and I haven't even uh brought this up yet. So this is also the first time that I've seen it all the way through. No uh, way. This well, so here's my story. Um I was probably God, I mean, 15, 16 years old. And this was one of those films that uh, we have like a local, you know, cable channel, like news channel, um, yeah. probably probably like Fox or whatever. And, you know, they, they do kind of their, you know, regularly scheduled programming and, you know, five o'clock news, 10 o'clock news. And then later, late at night around like a after the news, so probably... 11 12 whatever they would try to like fill the runtime with either reruns of old like 90s shows <laughs> or or like old movies and that was actually that whole like nighttime block was how i experienced seinfeld for the first time uh, <laughs> right and so I remember a bunch of the movies that they would show late at night. And, and like this one was one that just stuck out to me. And I think at the time with this like 
male gaze and teenage mindset i was like oh fuck yeah they're shooting giant bugs and there's all these people in a shower like hell yeah this is the perfect movie for when you're like 13 and just starting to you know get into puberty this is like this is like peak entertainment Oh, no, yeah. it was it was amazing. <laughs> it, 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 it reminds me of another show that I was introduced way too late. It was a friend of mine. There was a Canadian show called Lex, which is very much uh, I don't know. If, I mean, oh yeah, you you started watching it. And like this is the perfect show to get into when you're like 13 years old. You know, but yeah. uh, anyway. no, that, that was basically what this was. And then I watched it the other night, and now being like 27, I'm like, oh. This is what this was actually about. Yeah, exactly. About, you know, it has layers. It's like onions. There's layers. DNA. There's action, and there's great social political commentary. Well, and I think I. I mean, I do. I don't want to give the impression that this movie is perfect. I. I didn't love it, but I really liked it. It does have some mm-hmm. flaws. I think. I. I kind of put this in my review where it's like. It's more clever than people give it credit for, but I don't know if it's as clever as it thinks it is. And I I don't think that it's as good as Total Recall. I don't think it's as good um, as RoboCop. I actually (laughs) kind of somewhat prefer showgirls because of what, what a disaster that movie oh no, okay i was gonna okay i was gonna Hold say on. like Hold no on. in terms of entertainment value i agree Hold <laughs> the fucking phone <laughs> no I'm, I'm being serious right now that that movie has a lot going for it oh it's um, i mean it's terrible right but it's so funny yeah <laughs> some of the right things um but no i mean i i had fun with it i i kind of I think it's well-deserving of its cult status. I I had a couple of really good laughs. Uh, It's flawed, but, like, it's so hard to hate, you know? Yeah, it's kind of lovable in a sense, but it's just, like, kind of going off what you said earlier, Nathan, like, I, I love movies that blend, like, action and cheese and satire together into one little bow like that's what we like about total recall so much like yeah there's like satirical like elements to it but it's also like this really goofy dumb fun action movie where you can see like our schwarzenegger <laughs> say lines like uh, uh is it the real me it is <laughs> but for blowing somebody up like oh, i love that, stuff that, like that that is my that problem is, my is that lines of all the act, the action in of itself in Starship Troopers is not that great to me. I was more attached to the the goofier elements and the satirical elements. If this movie was just a too many cooks style edit of all of the propaganda videos, then it would be the best short movie ever. <laughs> I just needed when there was barely any of that in the second half. I was disappointed. <laughs> like maybe well, that's I, why I, th- I, so I think bad. those are definitely the most rewatched scenes of the movie are the propaganda bits. I mean, they're they're just really fun and tongue in cheek to watch. But also, there there is one scene that I personally watched uh, more than a few times, and that was a shower scene. Oh, of course, um, yeah. <laughs> obvious I'm the research. At all. Which is no, no, no. It, it, it wasn't just because of all the all the very fine nudity, but there was also some very interesting uh, dialogue being said that uh, you you probably didn't hear the first time you watched it. But no, there's there's literally a whole article talking about this scene and how really you know it really it really kind of sets the stage of where they are as a 
society where basically there's a difference between being a citizen and a civilian in order to gain full citizenship you have to serve that's also how you basically gain a license to reproduce and to vote and be involved in politics at all and they're just casually talking about this while showering together um yeah. like it's like th- 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 this is just mundane reality to them right now right mm-hmm. and it's kind of mm-hmm. you know kind of troubling and the, the you, you probably I'm... didn't notice because of all the beautiful bodies as as, as they're talking uh, i i mean that article well, is still really pretentious but yeah i i, 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 I fuck off <laughs> no I it is but I... no no your point is valid their point wasn't <laughs> your argument I, 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 did you even read the damn thing i did read the damn thing and it, it, it was the most elaborate excuse to tell his wife why he watched a shower scene for 20 times in a row <laughs> now, I, I mean, I, I was pausing through it anyway, but then I had more to think about when I asked you guys to the dialogue. You know? Like I said, it's hilarious. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna back Devin up. Here me, Thank you. Scene, I mean, it's so unsub. No, I get the points you're no, making. Well, 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 why are you backing me up? Can you pick up the soap, please? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Sorry, go on. Please help me. No. Um, I was just going to say, I mean, to me, like, again, when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, my God, there's a co-ed shower. <laughs> and then now, like, watching it, I think it's a statement of, like, you know, for us, I, I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone uh, here, but I, I think for myself included, uh, you know, if you're in a scene or, or if you're in an environment that is uh, full of that many uh, attractive uh, naked people that might be arousing or, or, or sort of exciting but here the the thing is not even so much what they're saying but it's just the fact that they're so like they're so desensitized to it yeah, yeah they're just used to it, to it. Yeah. they just don't care yeah. because the only thing that excites them is extreme violence <laughs> like, yeah and I because it's like, like i'd rather go there and stuff work on a farm <laughs> it's like no well, and, and here's yeah. the other thing. They kind of allude to that, too, earlier on. And I don't know if you guys caught this, but within, like, the opening couple of minutes, um, there's, like, the whole scene where, like, the boyfriend and girlfriend are kind of, like, passing notes back and forth. And there's, like, a little, uh, you know, iPad drawing or whatever, like, animated uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. 90s version of a GIF. Like, <laughs> 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 of a mm. Or whatever. And then that's going on in the foreground. But if you're actually listening in the background, the teacher is like, um, yeah, you know, Hiroshima was actually good. Oh, yeah, oh, these really yeah. fucked up points, and they're just ignoring it, yeah. No, they're talking about how the winners are the writers of history, and they're morally right, basically, the people that won. Um, yeah, every no, and they're this kind of making the whole case that like nuclear war is always justified because we're always the good guys, and it's like those it's are like, the kind of things it's, that it's, you're it's raw naked force that is the you know absolute decider of the course of history, something like I, that. I have a weird compliment to make for the shower scene is that it was surprisingly tasteful for a Paul Verhoeven nudity scene. <laughs> like I was yeah. just like, hey, they're just like having a shower and talking and hanging out. I actually don't mind this nudity scene in of itself. But normally well, stuff like that well, can't buck me up a little bit. His last film that he did was called uh, Benedetta, and it's about two like lesbian nuns back when uh, the church uh, <laughs> frowned on that. 
Um, it, it still doesn't. I mean, well, you know, but even more so back then. <laughs> and uh, there's like a whole, I mean, I, I think I can say this without uh, spoiling anything, but uh, there's a whole scene in that where it's like it's very much implied that one of the lesbians uses a a crucifix as a uh, uh, instrument of pleasure shall we say <laughs> so <laughs> does, does she use a double-ended one uh i <laughs> asking Any... for research <laughs> anyway my point is uh no i i, I kind of agree with you um ian it, it, here it felt more purposeful yeah like they're just it, it also okay. kind of fits the world building it's like yeah they're just hanging out having a shower they're <laughs> you know at military schools so, so they have uh, the one woman's basically like the only way to become a politician is to serve right like, yeah <laughs> yeah and 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 his parents really just want him to go to harvard like go to harvard like everybody else like that's the like that's the standard fucking yeah. like low level yeah and he's kinda... framed as a moron and a wimp and a <laughs> oh yeah even though, like, he... The scene that made me laugh the hardest was, uh... <laughs> uh, there was a very tragic accident during a live-fire training sequence, which that oh, itself yeah, is great. He gets shot <laughs> I forgot the scene was in the movie. It's like, Mac! Mac! <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, why aren't you... <laughs> Not pay attention to your life fire training. I'm like, why was there a life fire training? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get the joke they're making. It's like the incompetence of militaristic leaders and how they mistreat their <laughs> the people they're training and they aren't as safe and kosher as they probably should be if they're just rushing through to get them into the battlefield. But yeah, and of course, the great, uh, the enemy cannot push a button if you disable his hand with a knife. <laughs> He's just like violently insulting. Like he breaks the arm of one lady. He's like, "All right, medic." It's like Payne is a great teacher. And she's just like, "Oh my god!" The whole scene reminded me of the fucking like Monty Python. Anyone ever see the Monty Python self defense? Yes. Oh my god. Like I'm, I'm holding this banana. Disarm. Yeah, they both gun shoots. They fucking shoots. It's like, it's like, why did you shoot him? It's like he was coming at me. You saw it. Oh my god, yeah, it's... Uh, Again, I think the first half is just way more compelling than the second half. It's just, I wanted more of the stuff in the first half, I guess is the best way to put it. I don't know, I mean, I... I... Which is funny, because there's less action. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, man. I, I, I had fun with it overall. I'm, I'm just... Uh, I don't know. That's just like your opinion, man. Yeah, yeah I know. I mean, I'm not the biggest Fearhoven fan. Now, I will say this movie is way better than when I first watched it. I'll give it that. And I enjoyed watching it. I was never bored. Well, except oh, yeah. for the second half. Like, I was bored in the second half, but I wasn't, like, tuning out, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, it wasn't, like, completely, like, make an end. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I want to know what you're... No, I want to know your guys' uh, interpretation, opinion on the meaning of, like, the end. Christmas. Where, uh... Ooh. Was that? Yeah, just like, yeah, the meaning of the ending. So it's like, uh, they bring out the brain bug, and they drag it out. And then um, Neil Patrick Hare goes up to telepathically communicate to it. And he's just, says gleefully, it's afraid! And everyone cheers. Yeah! Oh. <laughs> that's cool. No, I think uh... that's... I think that's pretty straightforward what they're trying to say yeah. there. I mean, they, I, have, they, 
there's no there's no empathy there's no like you know geneva convention there's you know they're they're made to to think it's sort of similar to how america was after the 9-11 attacks you know like i honestly feel oh, yeah. like this this movie doesn't grow in, in any less relevant with a lot of you oh, know yeah. with the geo, geopolitical state now um uh yeah i mean i just thought it was no i mean, it's, I mean kind of, it's kind of it's kind of funny but it's also scarily like relevant to how a lot of the a lot of the nationalism yeah. that that we experience to this day at least in the u.s also the design no, I mean, of that creature I, is really cute <laughs> i i actually 100 percent agree with you nathan and and kind of you know i mean even like you know people on fox news or whatever nowadays and it's like oh you know the the uh, the gays are trying to convert your children or whatever. And then we have incidents like we had this last week. It's like, I think a lot of uh, right wing sort of far right wing fascist kind of ideology. It depends on this inherent fear of something we don't understand or yeah. the threat of losing a supposed privilege that, you know, that underprivileged people are going to take from us. Yeah. And, you know, and that's something that I, I really thought about too, when I was watching it is like, in a lot of ways, this movie has aged, but also in a lot of ways, it's like more relevant than ever, which is fucking scary. Um, yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, like you guys said the nail on the head, just the idea of like this, these awful creatures. And then it builds up to like this kind of, innocent looking like almost misunderstood creature and it, it looks adorable which i 100 percent was definitely <laughs> intentional oh, totally. adorable and gross at the same time yeah exactly oh, but yeah. it's basically like this defenseless creature and you can interpret that as like uh like oh, yeah. nations convincing other nations to do what they want when they have them by the ropes essentially like they have no bargaining they have no way to fight back and they're essentially defenseless <laughs> And just have well, to hope that these other factions treat them as nicely as possible. And of course, most of the time they don't. It, history repeats itself. And that's where well, it kind also, of won me over. Like, I was kind of uh, checked out by the second half. But when I got to that scene, I'm like, this this is interesting. And then the movie was over. I was like, oh. <laughs> well, and I think, there's, like, I think there's also a commentary there, too, at the ending. Where it's like, the people that were probably best for the leads as far as like their their love interest those people are killed off pretty brutally and oh yeah. you're left with just like the most bland white bread kind of people and their whole job is now to like procreate and bring on uh the next sort of era of of foot soldiers you know there's that whole thing where it's like they they do the last like propaganda bit and it's like denise richards has the little girl in her like spot and now she's the captain of the ship i'm doing just, my part it's, well, no, it's, it's just like it's the cycle repeating itself and i was actually kind of going back to um what i was saying earlier about like the cast uh, the casting of this movie, I was reading that uh, Denise Richards, 
thought this was one of her best performances because it gave a role model to young little girls. And I was like, wait a minute. I I mean, first off, her Timmy the T-Rex performance was way better. And secondly, uh, (laughs) I I can see what what she's saying. And like, though this is satire it's still like a sci-fi action epic and i get that you know it's it's cool to have you know a female you know sci-fi war well, like you know war heroes getting toys for this movie like i don't think anyone knew how to market yeah, this I don't think, yeah. <laughs> well i mean that happens all the time though like they it's, miss it, it, it's like when they had children's toys of breaking bad <laughs> it was like when nope uh like the uh, no spoilers, but kind of the irony of that movie is uh, to to have like a, a park at Universal and to have like toys and sh- all of this merchandise based around it is very ironic. No spoilers, but if you when you see the movie, you'll see it like that. <laughs> it yeah. completely misunderstands like the point that movie was trying to make. But that just always I, happens. Like when a movie makes money. And, and I don't know if that movie actually makes its point as as well as I I hoped it would, but that's probably a discussion for another episode. That's a discussion for another time. Right now, we need to do our part and give our final ratings for Starship Troopers. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and give this a seven point five. Oh. Uh, that's probably a, a little generous, but um. I don't know, man. I had fun with it. Uh, I, I liked... I think it has a lot of the right ideas. Uh, it knows how to execute most of them. And uh, like I said, man, it, it's hard to hate. It's fun. It's goofy. Uh, pretty smart. So I'm going to give it uh, 7.5. S-M-R-T. I mean, S-M-A-R-T. Yeah. Obviously, you are not a smart fella, but a a fart smeller. So, <laughs> what is the SMRT guy gonna give it? <laughs> I think so, you know exactly what I'm gonna give it. You know, oh, please, come on, man, please. <laughs> What's your actual rating? Nine point six. Wait, <laughs> holy! Yeah. Wait, are you actually giving nine point six? Sure, why not? Yeah, there you go. I mean, Aaron gave it a 10 before he logged off, so... <laughs> hello, hello, base department? What would you hello, give it, Nathan? Nathan? <laughs> it, it, it's um, anywhere between a 9.6 and a 6.9, just for the jokes. Alright. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um... The last time I watched it, I gave it a ten out of ten on Letterboxd, and I just because I just because it's like I love it. It's it's got like I'm just a huge Paul Verhoeven fan. Yeah. Um, so, but I think like you know, realistically, I would say like an eight, like an eight point five out of out of ten. Yeah, sounds uh, yeah. pretty reasonable. That's fair. Nice. Next up, uh, it, it's, the movie gets extra points because the satire is lost on most of the fan base of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Is inter- which, which is really entertaining in and of itself. Yeah. But take the but take the satire away, and it come on, it's still fun, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. All right. Uh, so oh, yeah. uh, I'm giving <laughs> it's simultaneously better than I remembered, and not quite as good as I was hoping it would be. But I enjoyed it overall, so I'm giving it a six out of ten. Watch it for Clancy Brown, 
Oh, give it at least a 6.9. Give it at least a 6.9. I mean, like, come on. What's not to love about this movie? Clancy Brown, Michael Ironside, you know, I mean. Two parts. Fine, I'll give it a 6.9, but very, very, very reluctantly on the record. Yeah. Very reluctantly. Very nervous boner, 6.9. Yeah, just slightly. No, no mind. Uh, no. Next film is District 9, and I have a bit of a preamble for this one because oh, wait, I have a bit is, of a history with this film. Is District 9 next? Yeah, because it came out in 2009. Figured we could oh, get it. Oh, damn. I thought. We're going in chronological order. We're going in chronological order. Yeah, we always I'm do. So... Okay. No worries. I just didn't realize that. No, we're, we're, we're we'll, we'll just have to edge more for tomorrow. <laughs> okay, uh, so I forgot it was no, not November. So District Nine, directed by Neil Blomkamp. As I mentioned, I have a bit of a history, and I, I am going to go into pre-ramble, so I have to apologize. So many years ago, when I was a wee lad, uh, when I was a kid, I was about ten or eleven years old at the time. My parents found out I had a sunken chest. And that essentially meant that, like, my rib cage was literally caving in where my heart is. And if it kept going on like that, the doctors would point out that that would eventually, like, cave in so much I wouldn't be able to breathe. So they had to do something about that. Their idea was open heart surgery. And open heart surgery, uh, so basically they were going to carve open my heart, put in a metal bar, expand my chest outwards so I'd be able to breathe properly. First surgery goes by, it was a success. I, I mean, it was an awful experience for me because, like, waking up in surgery and dealing with that is, like, it really affects your bodies in ways I can't even explain. And some of the stuff they had to do was not fun. But the results of it seemed like a success, so I didn't complain too much about it at the time. A couple years later, near the end of public school, I come back and find out that the metal bar was killing me. It nicked my heart. And it, my heart was quite literally bleeding out, so they had to do surgery ASAP and take out the metal bar. What happened was that they messed up. I woke up and they literally told me I was lucky to be alive. Because what happened was they pulled out the metal bar wrong, and it nicked my heart even further. So the scar on my chest was supposed to be about like the size of like two finger whips. It basically grew to the size of like the hand to the elbow. Like, it was way bigger than it was supposed to be. I got scars on my side, and uh, I basically found out that the doctor screwed up. And when my parents went to see the doctor about what happened, the lawyers basically politely told them to fuck off. But they didn't actually say that, but that was, they, they did their lawyer way of telling them that nothing's going to happen. Go away. And I was so angry at that. I was so angry at how they mistreated me. And that took years off my life. Like, I was so miserable. Like, I never said thank you for anything. I always chewed my mouth open because I just felt awful. It did things to my body I didn't even understand. I couldn't go out to the beach without a shirt on for years. Like, I had trouble breathing. I couldn't run properly for a while. And it took, like, ten... Like, this is, like, about ten or so years ago now. And I could still feel some side effects from that. But... Like, I came home, and I was feeling pretty miserable, but my dad was like, you know what? Like, I rented this pretty cool movie. You should check it out. I think it, I think it will make you feel better. Come District 9. So, I knew nothing about this film going in. Knew nothing about who was involved. Nothing about the plot. 
absolutely nothing. I just saw the cover, which is just the image of the no alien, the no aliens, like the sign just covered up in bullets and just an empty desert like background. I'm just like, this is fascinating. Like, what is this? This is really interesting. And at the time, like the film just completely caught me off guard and blew me away. There's one element in particular. So the main character played by the great Charlotte Copley, who's kind of an underrated character actor, in my opinion, really shines in this movie as Lucas. Uh, Lucas, uh, he has to deal with some freaking prunes. Uh, so he, ha he has to uh, go out on his first date at the MNU to uh, evict these aliens called prunes who came on their home planet. And uh, he has to tell them, please, please go away. And... He goes through a bit of a journey with that. He gets affected by this disease that causes him to turn into a prong. And the element that I really related to as a kid was because I was going through changes with my own body that I wasn't understanding. I felt like these like government figures were mistreating me and my family. So the idea of the main character going through these changes and being exploited by these doctors and these medical professionals... Like, that really resonated with me. That was like, I, I felt like I was watching a movie that understood what I was going through. And that was just unreal. Like, that was just something special. I wasn't expecting that in a sci-fi film at all, let alone a sci-fi film in 2009, which, let's be honest, is not was not a great year for movies. And it just built me, I built this special connection with this film. I thought Neil Blomkamp was going places, which he didn't, but that's a different discussion for later. And it was my favorite film growing up for a while. Watching it again, it's not as good. The villains are borderline terrible. It's kind of a white savior movie. But you know what? I still love it. It still has a special place in my heart. And there's still a lot I appreciate about it. But I want to know what you guys think about District 9. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to jump out here and I'm just going to say I'm, I'm sorry you went through all that. I, I had no idea. Um, and I do think there's something to be said for, you know, the, the time and place and, and the mindset that you first uh, see a movie like that. And we, we kind of touched on that with Starship Troopers. Um, the only thing that I'm going to challenge you on before I actually get to my my thoughts, 2009 had a couple of bangers. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, 2009 but, uh, had the writer's strike and... It, there, there were a lot of me, movies that were there were some absolute banners for sure but there were also a there lot was of inglorious that bastards that's true uh, inglorious bastards avatar, was great antichrist hurt locker avatar yeah but like a lot of like major hollywood releases were not great okay i mean i the, well it's discussion. considered it's wild widely considered i guess is the best way to put it because of the writer's yeah strategy. A lot of movies I mean, were affected by that. Like, Revenge of the Fallen was affected by it. Pandorum was really badly affected by it, apparently. Like, a lot of movies, yeah. unfortunately, lost to the writer's strike. No, no, I, I definitely get that. I wonder if um, Public Enemies was affected by that, because yep. that is probably... It was, apparently. One of Michael Mann's worst films, if not his worst. And I the, one, yeah. worst. <laughs> the one with uh, Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp and Christian, Christian Bale. Bale. Yeah. I, it's okay. And, uh, it's fine. It's, it's not right. good compared yeah. to other man stuff. I'll That's put it that way. Um, no, but um, so I watched this movie. This was one that uh, 
totally flew under my radar, I guess. I, I really had no uh, context for what it was. I mean, it, it, it's funny. Um, <laughs> my only real exposure to this film was um, I was dating a girl for three or four months and she was not very well versed on on films and so i was trying to kind of like feel things out because obviously like you know you you need to be compatible you know in a relationship you need to have some shared interest you know and i remember asking her like well what do you think uh, like you know, because I was kind of going through a lot of, like, classics, you know, I was like, well, you know, have you seen this, or uh, would you like to see this, or, like, you know, and nothing really ever hit, and, and I was like, well, what do you think of scary movies, and she was like, I hate scary movies. <laughs> I need to see other people, no. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, literally, it didn't work, <laughs> not for that, but, you know, um, but she actually said that part of the reason she hated scary movies was she saw this movie at a young age and it just terrified her and she didn't want to watch anything like scary ever again. And so, um, which, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, probably not going to bring over uh, a bone tomahawk or martyrs or, you know, <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah. <laughs> martyrs. Per perfect date movie. Yeah. Exactly right. You know, probably, maybe you should, you should put Blue Velvet up there while you're at it, or <laughs> or you know, better, better, better yet, uh, watch inside. That, that, yeah, that, that'd be a great. Solo, no, I mean, you got Cannibal Holocaust. Great movies for for dating. Yeah, dating. no, no. I mean, you, you guys are making fun of me, but I'm serious. Like, you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I mean, that's um, fair. I watched, I watched like Mandy and. Uh, like annihilation with my last girlfriend so i i, I watched barbarian i i took her i took the girl out on a date to see barbarian uh i didn't know hey, there I, you go. I got stood but, up uh, for that movie there you go <laughs> oh, it, 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 it was with your date i'm kidding uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. You, you dated Brutal. Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> um no um so I watched this movie and uh, not great, honestly. Um, right. I really had high hopes for it. I think this film has a lot of great ideas. Um, I think my biggest issue is that I get the feeling that this movie kind of gives up on itself halfway through. I don't know if it gives up on itself or if it's major studio interference, which it, it really kind of feels it like. Really shift, it really shifts, though. It's got, like, the whole mockumentary it, thing going for it in the oh, first yeah. half of it. Mm -hmm. and then, I wouldn't oh, say it uh, ditches it, but it, it does, it, like, lean away from that. I'd argue there's a purpose to why they do that, but I'll kind of get into that in a bit. It's, uh, it, it's, it's absolutely great in the, in the first half anyway. And, and this, is, this is one thing that I will say about this film. This is by far the best film... Neil Blancamp has made. Um, I mean, that's not saying which, much, but yeah, it is. Which absolutely. may not be saying much, but I, I have some fun stories about uh, when I saw Elysium and uh, Chappie for the first time. Um, <laughs> did, anyone, but, um, did anyone even see um, his last film, Demonic? I heard it's awful. He did another movie? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and that currently has a 2.1 on Letterboxd. 
I think he's I think he's Oof. on the same uh, trajectory as Paul W S Anderson, and where he had M. one Shyamalan. really yeah. decent movie. Well, yeah, to enjoy either way. Anderson has at least two. Um, <laughs> at least maybe. I mean, Mortal Kombat's uh, Kino. Come on. <laughs> the the new Mortal Kombat. No, the original. Flawed, but it is. <laughs> It's pretty good. You you, you got to admit. Um, I do. I do still need to see Event, Event Horizon. Think of Event Horizon. I think you'll. I think you'll like it. Yeah. You'll yeah. Like I it. think it works as a prequel to Warhammer 40k, but we'll get into that when we review it later. But uh, we'll definitely, what do you think of District Nine? Um, I thought well for the first half with the documentary stuff when it's kind of. Basically, when it's just being an analog for the real world, that's when it's at its best. I do think it kind of loses something toward the last half. Um, and like there, there, there are these things that Neil Blomkamp likes to focus on, and they become more apparent when you see his subsequent films, especially Chappie. Um, how do I, how do I put this into words? Like. So this guy goes into these uh, slums basically to evict all the aliens that have been living there for the last 20 years because this is a, a uh, ship that basically landed on Earth um, after, I guess, shit went down elsewhere and they've basically become stranded here and then they're, they're basically treated like second-class citizens. So it's a very overt kind of social commentary on, you know, how we subjugate certain people in the slums and whatnot. Uh like it's a bit on the nose, but at least it's like well done for the most part. Like when it's in the documentary mode, I feel like it's that's where it's at its best, and that's where the oh absolutely social commentary is actually holds up as relevant. And you have this guy that isn't a very stand-up person. Um, uh, what what was his name again? I'm sorry. Uh, Lucas. Lucas. Uh, that's his name. Lucas. Lucas. Right. Yeah. Lucas. Anyway. Um. <laughs> so you know he's kind of this uh, well-meaning, but kind of you know, pushing uh, these papers, which are basically turning, uh, turning them over into a concentration camp. And um, you just see the, the, the dehumanization, the very little dehumanization of the way they're treating these uh, creatures um, who uh, really don't deserve what they're getting. And then he kind of gets uh, immersed into their world when he accidentally sprays himself with this uh, genetic kind of material. Um, and so I think he starts to understand you know, their whole kind of perspective, more or less. But he's still not a very likable character throughout most of the film. I mean, well, he, he kind of does he, he kind of does redeeming things toward the end, and he has some things, but then he, like, hits him with, like, a, a gun or something. Well, that's because he said, like, the, he couldn't take him home in time, which basically meant, like, he was going to be a crown forever. But, but, but then, but then, then, he, then even, even after that betrayal, and even after he, like, takes the ship and it gets, like, exploded like the christopher the alien still helps him anyway like i would i would i would leave his ass to die him in the head with a shovel shovel was that was it pr pretty dick move i'm gonna say but it's a dick oh, move. Was, he's it, gonna it, be in front for the rest of his life like i feel like it's not not that i condone the decision but it was clearly well, like an emotional so reaction Okay, and, and and I'm glad we're getting Christopher into Christopher Erdy. Okay, go on. We're, we're, I, getting, I, we're getting into the ending here, and I just want to go... The ending's the best part. Fuck you. <laughs> I, 
I don't know. Uh, here's my question. Because the whole crux of the ending, like the whole climatic uh, sort of hook is like, oh, you're going to stay here and I'll be back in three years. I'll be back like, in three oh, years. I, it, it was kind of touching. Well, yeah, no, no. It's, right. But it's, it's, it's like, oh, man, you can't leave me here for three years. And then the ending is like, OK, I accept it. And it's like, I promise you, I'll be back in three years. Like, is there a reason that he couldn't just go with them to the planet? <laughs> well, yeah, no, he, the not. reason he couldn't go with them was because he stayed behind to fight them off. And he could go with them. Oh, uh, uh, wait, yeah, like there wasn't. I, I see. That is kind of a weird plot hole. I assume because there wasn't enough room. Maybe or something like there that. Plenty like, of room. They showed the show. Well, no. I, well, the impression I get is that the free years is they're not going to a place where there's medical beds. They're going to a place to rally up as many aliens as possible and bring them back. Like that's the impression I'm getting. Like they aren't making a stop to. It, like okay. they aren't like going to the medical bed and going right back. I, I think it's no, like the impression. I that, but wouldn't he be more safe among the people of that planet than on Earth where they're trying no. to turn him into <laughs> No. I don't think they would be because they'd be like, oh, this guy's like a, <laughs> a human turned into an alien. Like, if the humans are as awful as you say they are, why should we trust this fucking guy? You know? It's kind well, of but weird, he, he but has, yeah. Christopher is sort of his eyes into that world. I don't know. My My thing is. This movie, like, it, you know, it. I also read that this was originally going to be a Halo adaptation. Yeah, Peter Jackson. Know, Jackson the, 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 yeah. Peter Jackson was on that was working on the Halo thing. It didn't end up happening, so they they picked up um, this guy Neil Blomkamp who was working on a short film, and they wanted to keep the momentum going, and because they liked uh, this idea for his short film that he was doing, so they decided to spend it to a feature film. And they kind of took the momentum from the Halo project into that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. they supposedly used a lot of the concepts. And the life in Joburg, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, I gotta say, when I when I read that, I was like, that kind of makes sense. This e this feels like it. It feels like a demo reel for a movie that wasn't made. Like the first I don't know half if I go that completely far. at odds with the last half. Yeah, yeah. That, that's fair. Know, I still think the second half is good, but it's not as good. I agree with I that. I don't know if it's, it's good. I think it is. I, I think it, he did the best with what he had, and I kind of wonder I, if there was studio interference I, or it was just a case I, I of, think, I don't know where to go from here. I think that, like, you know, if we're talking about the time this was released, if you're talking about the first half, you have an interesting allegory for like the American immigration process, and yeah, it was also strictly like, related it, to yeah. how they were treating, uh, um, like different races in yeah, South like, Australia, but, in but, Australia. Well, what? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, but also like post nine eleven xenophobia. Mm, like absolutely. I, I remember. I remember thinking I remember thinking that that was a huge part of the conversation like around like around the time that this was made and you know looking back right. on it you know looking back on it now it seems like it seems like it was very much a part of what was going into this movie yeah well, absolutely. oh yeah and, and, and it, it was all part of the, it was all part of the set design as well like they were taking stuff from modern Johannesburg and this actually I, I might misquoting this but i literally was just watching like a behind the scenes thing that they 
convicted to film there. So it's like it's it's ironic that that was part of the film that they they also just did that in real life to film, although they had the help of some locals like. Well, yeah, I mean, here's my thing, and and I'm glad uh, Nate brought this up because this was a question. How that's a bad thing. This was a question I was going to bring up: is if you're going to tell this kind of allegory and and you're going to make this kind of statement about xenophobia and the refugee crisis and human sort of prejudice, is it irresponsible to then portray the uh, other members of society as yeah. murder thirsty bugs. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, that's. And and the I... also the only reason that we decide to help them is because the protagonist gets like bug aids for. Them, yeah, like it, it is kind of a white savior movie, but there is a counter argument I'd like to make against that. So, one argument I have for the mockumentary footage fading away in the second half. Whether or not this was intentional, I guess that's up for debate, but the first half, the mockumentary bits are trying to manipulate the audience into a certain point of view. I remember there was, we were talking about this film in yeah. film theory class. I think there's some truth behind this. The mockumentary elements are clearly trying to manipulate us to a certain point of view. Like, uh, you know, it's very, like, anti-prawn. They only, you know, there's a segment where they ask people if they should go away, and it's clearly just a select handful of people. Very much like how the news will, like, select, like, a very select handful of people when they asked like 50 people and they just took like free opinions <laughs> and pretended like that was the majority but as the film goes on and we see the true side of what's really happening the mockumentary elements fade because we're finally seeing the truth of the story the documentary can't manipulate us to a certain point of view anymore it's we're finally seeing the true nature of what's really happening and was that intentional or not i don't know but i think it's a very clever way of revealing that as the story goes along and they try to do it at the end, but by then we know better by then we understand what's really going on. We see that from a new point of view as an audience member, we have no idea of what to expect going into it, but seeing the end, we can kind of see like how that documentary footage has been tricking us to a certain point of view the entire time. Sorry. I know that was kind of pretentious, but that's kind of my argument. <laughs> Thanks for coming I mean, to my TED I talk. To, to, uh, to what point also, of view was it tricking us to see? Is my it opinion. was trying to give us like a xenophobic point of view on the prawns and their situation. But as the movie goes along and we see like the true nature of what's really happening, you know, like the, the camps aren't anything special. You shouldn't go to them. And of course, the mistreatment of the how the MNU treats their patients. Like we're finally seeing like the I, reality of the situation. I'd in the language of cinema. I'd argue I think you've got it backwards because well. the first no no hear hear me out because the first thirty minutes of this is very like documentarian yep and it's like you know that kind of like cinema verite kind of thing where it's like you have a bunch of people kind of sugarcoating the situation yep. and being like oh you know it's really mad what's happening to them but. You know, it's it's just the way it is. And, you know, you have these people who are like, well, actually, prawn is a slur. And it, it reminds me of uh, 
uh, the moment in the last uh, movie that we watched, uh, Starship Troopers, that we talked about, where it's like, I find yeah. the idea that a bug can think offensive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. Like, like, there's so much of that going on in the first 30 minutes. And then, like, the last half of it, it kind of just, like, oh, they're sci-fi monsters, they're bugs. Like I don't they, agree with that at all. Like, I feel like it really fleshes out, like, the humanity of the prawns. Like, we see, like, how this kid is this, like, adorable, like, naive, like, creature that tries to see, uh, see the good in everybody he meets. Like, Christopher is not, like, this mindless beast. He's this intelligent being that can create all of this amazing technology and use instead of like the way we see his flat in the first 30 minutes is it's trying to manipulate us into thinking oh this is just they're making drugs they're cooking up illegal recipes they're stealing they're stealing from people but in the second half we see we're exposed to the true nature behind that where no this is an intelligent being simply trying to go home for a noble cause I, I don't know if I really agree that they're completely mindless in the second half. And they also tried to help Wilkes at the end of the movie when well, the admittedly it, it, bland it, it, bad guy like tries to <laughs> kill him. Like they show like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they agree that they just turned the generic sci-fi monsters. I, I think it, it leans into that a little bit. I don't know. I think this is kind. Of, this is kind of my problem. Is like, and of course we see like the mech. We see the weapons in action. Where it's like at first, like we thought, like these are just generic weapons. But in case, in fact, like they're intelligently designed, and you have to be of the prawns in order to use them. And the mech is very like complex and engaging. When we thought like the prawns had were like very stupid and had no idea how any of this technology worked we're seeing like the true nature of what their potential can really be. That's kind of held back in this society. I mean, what, what do you guys think? I'm, yeah, I'm that is good. Good point. Yeah. What do you guys think? Nathan, go ahead. Yeah. Nathan, um, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to defer. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to be honest. It, it has been uh, a number of years since I've seen this film. That's my true. memory of it, my memory of it isn't as, uh, isn't as fresh, but I'm speaking, I'm speaking to what I do remember. Uh, from when I did watch the film. That's fair. I, I, and I don't want to just, just shit on the movie, because I think there are genuinely good aspects we can agree on. Like One I aspect think, well, I think we can agree well, on is the visual well, effects have held up so well. Like, the CGI just, looks... Sorry, go on. Oh, well, but just, like, I didn't think that they were trying to demonize the prawns when I was first, like, when I was oh, first I watching Well, no, the, the documentary was demonizing the prawns. Like, the that's what I meant. Yeah, but I feel like the documentary was satirical enough to the point where we knew that to to the point where we knew that the documentary was mm -hmm. was bullshit. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, like that's what they're it, going like, for. I, I thought you know, I thought the documentary was was demonizing the prawns, but you know, the movie was demonizing the documentary to a degree, you know? Mhm. Mm mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, but like I I'm saying like those elements fade as the story goes on. As oh, we yeah, no, see. they yeah. They they certain they certainly faded, and I remember being a little bit confused by it as I was, as I was watching it. Um, granted, I don't know if this movie would work if you had the film go one way or the other. Yeah, you know, that's like true. How like how would this movie like you know, how would this movie come off if it was you know if it was all documentary, or how would this movie come off if it was all like you know, sci-fi no. thriller? I think I, that. I, I think 
I think they did a good blend between the two. Like they uh, started with like that documentary language, and they went to some handheld cinematic stuff, and like visually, it 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 faded into that like very well. And I think it balanced that perspective uh, pretty well. We get we get a get good kind of flip going from the found footage to um, the uh, more cinematic footage, and yeah. uh, and I I think it works out pretty well in, in that regard. Like um, in terms I, I of like the, this, well, and I I don't want to I don't want to shit on this movie either. I mean, I think there's a lot of cool ideas. Absolutely, um, the CG I, I, I think, in this movie looks so good. Like to this day. Well, the the world building is pretty damn decent. I really like the idea of uh, it's biological weapons so that you have Mm. to have genetic makeup to be able to fire the gun. And then, of course, that ties in later where it's like you have the body horror of him turning into one of these aliens. And so now the government is going to force him to be like a soldier. Like, I thought that stuff thought that stuff was kind of brilliant i thought the idea that uh there's like propaganda put out that he had sex with one of the aliens (laughs) that was brilliant like i I think there's so much i forgot about the aliens oh i i love the joke the guy makes it's just like did you wear a condom man (laughs) no i mean i i think i think there's a lot of good ideas here i don't know that by the end of it it all came together in a way that was satisfying for me at least it's a very well made um, movie on the technical level it, is. At the it very was least. actually i mean we should just mention it was nominated for best picture um yeah. it yeah. did not it did not win um but it was nominated alongside avatar uh inglorious bastards uh the coens a serious man Hurt Locker. Uh, wow. Yeah, well, Hurt Locker won. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, and the fact that this was even nominated, like, I can't imagine, like, Neil Blomkamp must have been like, shit. <laughs> like, maybe that's why, like, his later films aren't that good, because maybe he just let the success of this movie get to his head, unfortunately. Well, like, he was just like, this movie was nominated for Best Picture. I can do so I great with like, other films. <laughs> I feel like sometimes, like, you know... Sometimes you only have one. <laughs> Sometimes you really have, like, you know, I, like, I feel like every writer or director or filmmaker, like, you know, they have something to say. Sometimes you really only got one thing to say. And maybe yeah. this was just the one thing. And Elysium. Like, no, especially, yeah. like, Elysium, it's, yeah. like, the same exact kind of... It's it's not pre- it's not that the premise is the same, but, like, the, the physical setup is, like, oh, there's this giant floating thing above a city... Uh, but instead of uh, aliens that are crash landing here and it slums below, it's oh, all the rich people are off in this uh, spacecraft orbiting the Earth, and they're gonna try to leave all the poor people behind. It's the same kind of poor rich dichotomy with a literal floating, you know, city or or ship just above another city. So I haven't seen Elysium, but f- like from the trailer, I can tell it's like it's it, it's, it's basically it's, District Nine without the cleverness or. <laughs> The wit yeah. to it. It's uh, yeah. it's it's interesting, but I think it, it misses the mark of the messaging you could have had. And then Chappie was a real clusterfuck. I mean, it was fun, <laughs> but um, I, I didn't even know who Diane Ford were going in. Um, <laughs> so I didn't know why I should care about their characters, which really Dying felt underwritten. But yeah, yeah, Diane Ford, they're they're in the movie and they they're play. In the movie. 
They're in the movie and they play basically these versions of themselves. And I, I, I went in that movie completely well, blind. I mean, we should. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not accusing the Academy of of being biased. Never, of course. <laughs> but um, obviously not. No. But but this movie was produced by Peter Jackson, who had just come off the Lord of the Rings King 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 too, which also got some Oscar attention. So I mean. I feel like that probably swayed voters a bit, you know, because this, no, this movie really? opens with, well, this whole movie opens with, like, Peter Jackson presents. All of the it's posters not... came with Peter Jackson. Uh, I thought he directed it for the longest it, time. That it, would be that's because no one, know, no one knew who Neil Blomkamp was, so you have to have the more recognizable name up front. That's true. Yeah. Like, And, uh, hey, if it allows a movie like this to be produced by a big studio and released in big theaters, you know, all the more power to it. Like, if that's what it takes to get this movie out there sometimes that's what you need you know brad pitt yeah. produced like tons of like indie films that like won't get attention otherwise and of course like elijah wood producing tons of films like mandy or anything anything along those lines like sometimes you just need a big name attached I mean, to get I, would, I, I wouldn't <laughs> count uh elijah wood i mean panos cosmatos come on his his father did tomb george right? yeah, like, no, do most people like, know that or do more people know Elijah Wood? I don't feel I, like Elijah Wood's name was really brandished at all yeah, in the market. No, I wasn't sure if it was. I, 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 I feel like it was even it if was an afterthought for me. No, even if people don't know who George P. Cosmatos is on like a first name basis. Like it's still about the connections. That well, also like Nick, you know y- Nicholas Nick, Cage yeah, he, was pretty yeah. sure. I'm pretty sure it was Nicolas Cage who was the big name attached to get this, you know, yeah, to get that fair. movie oh, yeah. rolling. That's fair. And but well, my well, point well, is, like, you just right sometimes need so, a big I name a attached. More, like, I, I think a more apt comparison would be kind of like we talked about how, you know, Mel Brooks uh, put the money for The Fly yeah. for David Cronenberg or That's put true. the money for The Elephant Man yeah. for David Fly. Lynch. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes you just need a big name attached, and if that helps sure. the film get more attention, you know, so be it. Sometimes yeah. you just well, need a kick in the pants. So yeah. funny thing I'll say about the fly. Uh, fin- fin- finish uh, for a second, but just uh, there's a funny connection between this this movie and the fly for me. Yes. Oh yeah, there are some references to it, like the nail biting. The scene where he like clips the nail, oh, like, he loses fuck. the nails. Like, I, yeah, I, thanks. I, I, I need to I see that. How I, that that stuff is still like cringe. I physically cringe watching that stuff still, which I was surprised that I was still very sensitive to that. I mean, but you know, then there's the fly. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> this it, film, it, is it, it's, it's too, yeah. the, the the body horror element to this is very um is very on point. I will say that absolutely. Um, like the the cast but, was probably the most disturbing part because like. You're just dreading, you know, like something's going on. You're dreading what's in there, and he slowly like unravels it in a realistic way. And then, like, you see like some scales at first, and then like the hand like slowly pops out. Like that was so well done. Like that was my favorite. Yeah. Body uh, movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. Like, do it. There's not there's not a lot that like there's not a lot that like grosses me out or just like makes me twinge a little bit, but like. Transmutation is like things becoming other things. I don't know why, but I just I hate that shit so much. 
Yeah, it's a oh, it, it, it absolutely it, it gets to the primordial nerve and and and, and fears like you know like forced evolution or I don't know what it is. It's it's, it's yeah. the just it's like something about the fear of change, but also just like your body kind of working against you. That's a terrifying thought. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, it's, it's also really fascinating, though. I just, I, I don't know. I, I have a weird fascination with this kind of film. Me like, too. Yes, they make me cringe and they win, make me wince, but I don't know. There was something about like seeing uh, the thing or Hellraiser that was deeply disturbing, but also really fascinating. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Won't you and guys you give this? Go on. If you want to hear more of our thoughts on body horror, you should check out our episode "Body Brain." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you we're talking about. You, you gotta sing the jingle with it. Oh, I oh, guess you yeah. didn't grow up in Canada, but we had no, this body yeah. break, little like infomercial. It was one of those like infomercial ads. It was trying to teach people to to be healthy and get off your ass and stop watching TV between your show. Sure. <laughs> But I mean, yeah. you can find it on our Spotify and YouTube, and I am shamelessly promoting us on this very podcast. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, ratings? Thought. Ratings. Well, Aaron uh, gave this a 9.5 before he uh, clocked out, but what do you guys think? Uh, he also gave Starship Troopers a 10-10. <laughs> he does love Paul Fearhoven. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna give this an eight. I do think it's uh, a solid for what the film is. There is some um, character elements that I don't quite agree with or th thought were enduring, which only become uh, something of a trend in Neil Blomkamp's other films, where he really wants you to care about characters in the last minute um, that really maybe don't quite deserve it. Although I think it worked at its best here for the most part and i thought the story worked out i just feel like he's been trying to make the same kind of movie uh each time or, or, or trying to trying to get to this level again he just hasn't quite cut it i'm glad he isn't trying to uh revive the alien franchise anymore um, <sighs> or robocop oh god. god yeah he wanted to do robocop oh at one point too yeah <laughs> Which you're, no, no one's ever gonna no, no, no one's ever gonna top the original Robocop. That's another Paul Verhoeven we have to talk about because I've got a I've got a fun story about how I first saw that film at too young of an age. Yeah, I need to watch again. So I know a, I know a couple of films that would uh, pair pretty well with Robocop. I think we should. I'm sure you do. This. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm 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 gonna give this one an eight. Nice. Works for me. Uh, uh, I'm, my heart says an eight point five, but realistically, I'd also give it an eight. But there's still a lot I appreciate about, appreciate about it, and it still holds a very special place in my heart. Yeah. Uh, would, you say this, this film is, <laughs> yeah, would you say that this film is a better companion for your heart than that metal bar? Absolutely. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's not saying much, but yes, it is. <laughs> uh, You'd rather they slot the DVD in the... <laughs> just oh, my the God. <laughs> and, and then I just hear... Uh, the Sony theme play like every time I wake up. No, I'm like the Sony production no, studio. It's, 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 you know. it's like the v, it's like the VHS and the video drum, but it's a little <laughs> up, uh, dabbed him in. It's just a DVD of District Nine. Uh, so that's why, like, I, oh god, uh, that's where the gun is. Okay, uh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut that one open again. I just couldn't resist. Oh, well, 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 hold on. If you were, if you were, if you were like in a like a Tony Stark situation where you had to have a dvd as like like you know as like your pacemaker or, or whatever what what dvd would you choose uh grand budapest hotel probably <laughs> i mean i'm always in the mood for that movie so i'll uh, just keep installing 
Well, I for mean, me, that, it's that... either Stalker or 2001: A Space Odyssey. I mean, Stalker I... actually has dialogue to it, but you can't understand the dialogue. So two plus one. I love. I love. I, I love Stalker. Still need Sorry, to read. Oh, that's another one we should review. Absolutely. Uh, District Nine. I'm giving it a six out of ten. Not even and a six point nine. I to bring that up to a six point nine. Me too. Uh, uh, very, very ironically and reluctantly giving this a 6.9. Yay! We did I, it. I, it yeah. has a lot of problems, and I'm surprised that it actually got the, the critical attention that it did. I, I, I really... I feel like I love half of this movie, and I love the promise of the second half that didn't happen so basically when uh, i thought about starship troopers <laughs> I, I, I almost thought you were gonna say promise uh, 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 but steven if you didn't like this movie his next films are progressively much 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 worse so do not watch them. <laughs> well i'm almost see here's the thing and and i love a lot of uh so bad it's good kind of i garbage. wouldn't even recommend it for that honestly really no, it's just bad. Chappie is just bad. Elysium, maybe, but it honestly made me yeah. mad. But I, I, I was gonna say, Ian, don't don't like underhype it too much. He's gonna come back and say Elysium's a misunderstood masterpiece. Oh yeah, oh yeah, fair point. Yeah, you will love Elysium. Elysium is so good, man. Oh, yeah. Nathan, won't you give District Nine? Remember. I would say like I would say it's been a while, so I'm gonna err on the safe side and say like a six point five, maybe seven out of ten. Nice. Well, okay. we have one more film to talk about. So we're edging to that tomorrow with Edge of Tomorrow. Take it away, Devin. And I Nathan. No. You know, so <laughs> science the Scientology poster boy, Tom Cruise. Uh, <laughs> play yeah. Is the uh, plays the hero of this, um, you know, uh, Groundhog Day in space, uh, <laughs> where he tries to mack on Emily Blunt by using the most effective weapon in the, uh, you know, in the courting playbook. Uh, go, you know, going to war. Um, oh, and there's also <laughs> like aliens and shit. So you know, whatever. War. <laughs> Huh. That's probably the well, best intro we've ever had point. on this channel. I and mean, Devin, I don't know how you can top right. that. <laughs> yeah, um, there's also aliens and shit. Is th that should be on a T? That's a letterbox <laughs> review. <laughs> <laughs> um, it works. Yeah, edge perfect. Of, edge of tomorrow. Um, I fucking love this movie. I yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. This movie. This movie rocks. Fucking rocks! I had no idea what to expect. Um, you know, I, I, I'm gonna be honest. I mean, a lot of the world building and lore and stuff is kind of inconsistent. If I had to nitpick, there's a couple of like very specific little things that are just like they don't add up exactly to the rules that the film makes as far as its world building and logic. Um, a lot of that is kind of nitpicky, though, because as far as, like, a dumb, fun action movie, uh, this is probably one of the best I've seen in years. Like, I wouldn't say it's I, dumb. It's just intelligent. I wouldn't even say it's well, dumb, but it's, it's just fun. Yeah, it's intelligently made fun with some 
minor plot holes, but in terms it of has, this structure, it has something that would be like a, a that could be a very tired or very uh, you know uh, under and, and not well done gimmick, but it does it to such a clever like level. It works Agreed. really well. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's it's more than you would expect from the run of the mill Tom Cruise movie. You know, here's the oh, thing: well, the marketing for this movie did not show any of did did not show the gimmick at all. And on one hand, I can under, kind of understand what they're going for. They want it to be a surprise. They don't want the audience to know what they're getting into. I thought, that, want, was, I thought that was clever too. Yeah, but like, the problem is. Nobody watched it because everyone follows a generic action movie. Because <laughs> without the gimmick, it yeah. kind of seems like a generic action we- movie. <laughs> which is weird because it's just like, you know, pe- okay, people don't see this because they think it's going to be a generic action movie. But then people go to see like a bunch of generic action movies, you know? Yeah, I, it was oh, also yeah. released at a weird like, time, I think. Like, I think it released the same week as a Transformers movie, if I'm not mistaken, which yeah. definitely didn't help. It- it it was a bit of a sleeper hit, but I do think I, I like films that seem like just another run of the mill type of movie and end up being something you know amazing or or, yeah. or something unique. And so like, up, I like upgrade, like that. yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. Wrote, every everyone wrote off upgrade, but upgrade Fox. Well, upgrade is it better than what you expect going in, and this is the same yeah. case. I need to see that. That's been on my Yeah, radar. you should watch oh, that. Dude, you'll, you'll love it. But you'll here's, it. here's yeah. the thing. Like, I wouldn't want the marketing any other way, because when I first saw this in feeders, I was basically kicking and screaming. I was like, I really don't want to see this. This looks boring. I don't like Tom Cruise. I didn't like him at the time. I love him now. But <laughs> I, I, I went into this movie, and the first time he died, I was like, wait, what? We're like 20 minutes into the movie. Wait, he's back? What the f- what even is this movie? What's happening? And I was just no, so he, interested and engaged at that look, point. I look, wouldn't man, have that reaction if I knew he, what happened in the trailer. He he think that he Tom Cruise. You think that he Tom Cruise? Yeah. And it, one thing I appreciate, I mentioned this with Top Gun Maverick, where Tom Cruise being a badass is fun and all, but I in that movie, I kind of appreciate him being like a little pathetic and guilt-ridden and kind of clouded with all these emotions of like getting old and leaving his friend basically like getting over the death of his friend it's kind of a similar case with this where it's like i'm really glad he plays this slimy pathetic <laughs> cowardly guy who tries to like manipulate his way out of trouble at every turn and like get off combat as much as possible that has to arc into like the tom cruise we know and love like that was so refreshing yeah. and that made me like look at the actor in a different light because I wasn't watching Ethan Hunt in every other it's, movie. I was watching Cusco it, with a gun. <laughs> it, it, it's a way Cusco to work against type and, 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 and be his type at the same time. Mm, it's a great well, character. Yeah. Okay, I love that opening scene where he's with Brendan Gleeson and he does this really terrible like blackmail where he essentially says, uh, well, when the body bags do come home, uh, what if they were to blame you in particular? I'd rather, you know, not be in that peach mall. Like, this is awful. Like, this is so bad and scummy, but I love it. I love that they go there with this character and make him seem irredeemable, well, but that makes his arc all more satisfying. But you also so understand so, where he's coming from. Yeah, so this is one thing I kind of wanted to bring up, and uh, we've talked a little bit uh, about kind of ripped from the headlines um, this episode, but, like, you know, there's this whole debate um, now, especially with uh, Tarantino kind of doing the podcast circuit, 
you know, he, he sort of made the case that uh, Marvel movies don't create movie stars. That, you know, you don't pay to go see Chris Evans. You, you pay to go see Captain America. And kind of echoing the whole, like, theme park sort of argument that, that Scorsese made a couple of years ago. And one thing that I think is fascinating um, and Anthony Mackie, there was like a resurfaced interview where he kind of uh, shared the same sentiment about like, you know, it used to be back in the day, like you would go see the Stallone movie or the Schwarzenegger movie or, you know, we're going to go see like the action star movie. And that was your draw. And he was kind of complaining that nowadays it's like, even himself is not a star like like he's not a star the falcon is a star and the thing that i really noticed about this film i think tom cruise might be the last movie star i think he might be the oh, action star person. yeah I agree. no well, to an extent. I, I don't uh, to an extent i think he I think he might be like the last good one because I would argue that we do have like an action star. Yeah, yeah The Rock. <laughs> and yeah. I fucking hate The Rock. Yeah. I'm not there. even counting The Rock. I'm I'm like I'm talking about cuz no, I don't, I don't even think I would count The Rock cuz you know Black Adam did shit at the box office. Good. No, it made a process no, no, success. But that's my point. It's like people like I, I, I'm talking about who is someone that people go to the movie theater just based on their charisma and like what they bring as an actor and their sort of name. And I think Tom Cruise might be it. That's the only reason the Mummy 2017 made any money. <laughs> like if he had is, any I mean, other star in it, that could, movie would not. Yeah, be now you could make a case for like Keanu Reeves. You could make a yep. case for Nicolas Cage. But those guys have also been kind of like memed, like they've kind of been absorbed into internet culture, and for good reason. Like, and it's all been very wholesome and and based, as the kids say. <laughs> but uh, but Tom Cruise is one of those people that like he might be the last one that people go to see for like raw talent in terms of action. I, like, yeah, I agree. yeah. For sure, no, and, and I think I, part I, of that is like he gives a hundred and ten percent in every movie he's in. At least in terms of stunts. He's fantastic in this. Yeah, he is. Yeah, this is one of my favorite performances of him. Like I said, like that cowardly character that arcs into this, like, absolute, like, badass that doesn't even, like, demand respect by the end of the movie. He just, like, knows he's earned it. And also the fact that, like, he pushed so many practical elements in this film. The suits were originally going to be CG. He basically refused to do the movie until the suits were practical. So we can thank him for that. He convinced Emily Blunt to do her actual driving in the scene where she's driving with the alien in the back of the car and driving on the side of the road. That's not fake driving. That's actually her driving on like the side of the road. They went to specifically went to like a road in the country that was empty, that barely had any traffic and and barely anybody in particular. And they just had her drive to the point where she almost ran killed Tom Cruise because she made like a bad turn somewhere, but Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise just laughed it off. I really respect that he not only pushes the filmmakers to do better, he pushes the other actors to do better. 
Like, the or actors who them. work with him always say, like, he has an infectious charisma that brings out the best in them. And I really respect that about him. It, at least his well, new movies. Know, Emily Blunt, I, I saw her interviewed, and she brought up that, you know, it's often intimidating to be, like, a woman and kind of going on to an action movie and the idea that it might be, like, a boys' club. But, you know, she brought up that this was one of the films that she did where she was... All, she always felt like safe and comfortable and always felt like she was being around people and working creatively with people that really respected what she had to say. And, and you can tell that, I mean, this is a collaborative effort and it's a bunch of people bringing their absolute best to the table. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that is because like all of the um, actors involved in the military group actually did military training. On top of that, yeah. like foreshadowing Top Gun Maverick, but not quite as intense as that. But there's a funny yeah. little bit where they were like doing a jogging exercise, and at the end, they all went on a race. And uh, one guy in the interview was like, uh, So we're all like 21 year old, 18 year old, young, fit people. Tom Cruise is like 50 years old, and he beat everybody in the race. <laughs> and everybody, because they did a bet, like, Okay, we're going to kick your ass, Tom. Like, <laughs> We're gonna be at the race, and they all owe them like fifty push-ups, <laughs> like in the movie. Oh man! But talk about the actual movie, like it's just, it, like you said, it's so fun. It's so incredibly well paced. Like I'm not bored at any point in this movie. And one aspect I appreciated in particular watching this again was just how much it leads to the imagination. Like there are certain, like the idea of like we don't know how many times Emily Blunt watched her previous boyfriend die. We don't know how many times. Tom Cruise watched Emily Blunt die at the house. Like, we don't know how many we don't, times. Like, well, it's like, we don't know how, like, well, because, like, at the, like, in the first half of the movie, when Tom Cruise starts basically living every day and he gets his ass kicked and, like, you know, basically dunked on oh, him times. But, like, but we, but, like, we see his learning curve. So you have to wonder, just like, oh, what was it? Like, what was Emily Blunt's learning curve? Like, you know, it's, it's interesting to, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, it leaves a lot to the imagination, which for like a big budget sci-fi action movie is really respectable because there's this aspect that people say about like a lot of expensive movies, but expensive games as well, is the fact that they put so much money into them is that there can't be to the point where so many studios are too scared to leave any stone unturned and too scared to leave like any part of it, uh, like, of course, like not for the audience to see like they want to put their money where their mouth is so films like this or like from software games or anything along those lines leave just enough to the imagination leave just enough details that the audience doesn't necessarily have to see but it makes it all the more appreciated that they're there just hidden beneath the surface well i, I really mean, respect I, that no and i gotta be honest i mean the plot is extremely clever all of the performances here are great bill um, Brent, motherfucking paxton a uh, bill paxton, oh my god bill paxton. so phenomenal in this um, there's hope for you I yet private hope for you in the great with i am so happy that i'll be running into combat with y'all tomorrow <laughs> tip of the spear edge of the knife crack yeah, yes. no, he's I, I was going to say that there were two things I wanted to mention. Like, one was, uh, you know, rest in peace, Bill Passion. He was yeah, excellent in this. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And also, yes, arguably, this film is one of the only ones that 
very organically integrates like a very common video game mechanic into a plot. Yeah. Not many yeah. games. You know, like n not that it was intention, but like just the just the whole concept of respawning is something you only see in video games, and this is one of the only films that actually integrates that into like the plot of the film. Maybe not quite intentionally, but you know, it just works organically in the story. I mean, there there have been movies I think that have have tried something like that. I think uh, maybe Gerard Butler and Gamer. <laughs> Oh my god, oh, fuck yeah. that movie. You want a movie written about gamers, written by people that clearly aren't gamers, watch Gamer. Yeah, yeah what a no, movie uh, that was. This... Terry Crews was in that fucking thing, for God's sake. <laughs> I feel oh, bad, no, man. There was a lot, of, a lot of wasted talent in that. Keith uh, David was Michael, in it, Michael, man, come on. <laughs> Michael, Michael, Michael C. Hall was in that fucking thing. And he Zoe did a Bell. dance. Like, what the Dude. fuck? That movie's... Zoe Bell, man. Uh, let's talk about a good movie. Uh, let's yeah. uh, not just the performances, but, like, the action looks fantastic. Like, there's... It's oh, very well shot. The editing is surprisingly not shit for, like, a modern sci-fi action movie. The cinematography is gorgeous, and I was really impressed how that this movie came out, you know, five plus years ago now and the CGI eight years ago always, eight years ago the cgi ago. doesn't look like it's aged today well perfect because so much of it was practical that they could make the cgi look better as a result like when they were on the beach like yeah sure there's planes going off and elements of the mexus are cgi but there are still like hundreds of extras walking on the beach not a set an actual beach that was still rigged with explosives rigged with like fire like fire mechanic I, I forget what you call it but there's a name for the device you use for that like all of that is practical like it's a perfect mix yeah flamethrowers and vehicles driving by like land vehicles there's still enough of it that's practical that it allows the cgi that is there to look even better i think that's a good way of doing that so the cgi artists aren't overworked and they have a frame of reference it's like okay like the scene where the helicopter is crashing in the house like most of that is practical like Tom, like the they actually got like a half of a helicopter crashing through a building and spinning around, and Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise does his own stunts in that scene. So they get a reference. It's like okay, so the alien should go here. The alien can't hit Tom Cruise, who is in like this corner of the room. Like it's it very important. Like I know I push practical effects all the time, but I think it is important to even aid like the CGI artists to give them a frame of reference. That frame of reference is so crucial. The adding believability to the effects. Yeah. Oh, no, and, I mean, the score is phenomenal. The cinematography is gorgeous. The performances are fantastic. Surprisingly uh, so. Yeah. Yeah. And no, even I mean, when they are a little bit over the top, it's like, you know what? I can't even be mad. Like, I'm, it's just too much fun. Like, Bill Paxton is enjoying the role way too much but it's Bill infectious and knows exactly what yeah and even like the like other soldiers like yeah they're a little goofy but like you look they're still lovable and charming i love uh uh kimmel you fight balls out literally <laughs> it's like oh for christ's sakes kimmel's like i gotta live free man and he like lives in the mech suit just naked and my dad is like yeah that's a guy that knows who's gonna he's gonna die <laughs> that's guy he knows he's not gonna survive I'm watching this. Oh, it has its issues, but God, I'm not doing this movie again. 
No, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, most of the my... The plot armor very... and the third act's a bit ridiculous, I guess. But... Well, like... I mean, <laughs> if I really wanted to nitpick, I mean, there's a couple of things with, like, the world building of, you know, why these creatures are... Um, like, like why these creatures... Uh, and, and this was something I saw someone brought up in another review, is, like... If they can reset the day, yeah. If they can reset the day, why don't they just suicide one of their own to kind of get that reset ahead of Tom Cruise? Or is the reset that they do independent from Tom Cruise's reset? Because there's there's a lot of those little things where it's like if you really yeah. squint hard enough at this film, there's there's a couple sense. of like the mech suits aren't practical at all like the fact that they take so much to learn is like great for the characters in the movie but from a practical perspective like that would not fly in the military there's a reason like they use m16s in the military is because well it's not m16 uh or is it i'm trying to think but like they're standing issue rifles that are easy to use emphasis on easy to use like i feel like back suits in the real world wouldn't fly like they look cool they're great for a character art. And you could argue it's kind of about like how militaristic leaders like fail to teach the soldiers they're front into battle, giving them the knowledge they need to learn, but it is like a low impractical. Yeah, like, but yeah. I mean here's here's the thing. It's like I could sit here and nitpick and theoretically poke holes in this, but also it's so enjoyable and it's so well made. And in a lot of aspects I mean, it's still so intelligently designed that you're just like, I, you know I, what? I just, like I can do it. I went I went along for the ride and I loved it. Um, no, I mean I, I really I'm struggling to think of much bad to say. I think it sets out um, and it accomplishes what it you know is trying to do. I, I think it does it in spades. Actually, I mean, good shit. What you guys think of the well, ending? Because I feel like that's I, a bit of contention with some people. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think. It took me a minute to realize that uh, that the the day had reset, but things were ending on a good note. Because I had to go back, because I thought it was supposed to be, like, nihilistic. I thought, like, yeah, he just literally started over again. again. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, like, went back and I was like, oh, it changed. But he's mm -hmm. still living the same day because there, there's something that alludes to the idea that uh, the the Omega is gone. Yeah, so well, they say yeah. like uh, the enemies are like we're advancing in the beaches when they were struggling so much before, and she says like, uh, "Did you hear the good news?" and stuff like the usual ramble they gave, and of course, it's much earlier. It's the day before. I think okay. like it's much earlier. Yeah, and that, I mean, and some people say like it's a happy ending. They pulled out their ass, but I would counter argument and say it's actually very bittersweet because nobody, all of the relationships he's built, all of the friendships he's built, basically reset back to zero. Like he, nobody remembers what he did. Nobody knows what he did. Nobody knows yeah, who he is, but, despite and, the fact that but, he knows everything about them. But Emily Blunt kind of has a sense. Of, of what he did because he goes you know he goes to where he's like you're not gonna believe you know he's just like you're not gonna believe what, what oh happened. no he doesn't say anything he just smiles oh he does he laughs 
she's just like, dude, cut stuff out of my face. And it's just like, <laughs> and then it cuts. He, like, he yeah, gives awesome. that sort of like cheesy grin, like but uh, it's earned. It, it's grand. just like it's no, kind of it cheesy, but it's like you know what? Like you earned it, and of course, like the emotions he's going through is like I'm just so happy you're alive when I watched you die. You know? Did <laughs> you just, guys yeah. hear about the alternate ending that was originally planned? No. no. Yes, I do. I do, but please enlighten us. So apparently, they had a much bleaker ending in mind. Which they decided to um, change, not last minute, but the much bleaker ending was um, when they were going to go to the last like battle scene, and the uh, guy says, "You know, they 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 probably, you know, have been to the scenario and saw us coming, and just then their ship gets shot down, and that's more or less the end of the movie." Oh God, that's oh, so wow. unsatisfying. I think oh, like in terms of like a, a bleak nihilistic ending, I think like Stevens' idea sounds better than that. Like that's just unsatisfying. Yeah, no, like, that that doesn't work at all. Like yeah. I, I could see it where it's like he kind of laughs it off, like, "Well, shit, I gotta start all over again." Like, but if the ship gets shot down, yeah, that that's definitely worse. I think. Um, no, I mean, like I said, I mean, yeah, there's a couple of nitpick kind of things, but I think it's, I don't know, I had a blast with it, and especially like. After watching District Nine, this was kind of a breath of fresh air. <laughs> it's um, it's fittingly one of the most rewatchable action movies, also. Yeah, it is. no, it is, and I feel like it's one of those that if I rewatched it, I might pick up on things that I missed. There's a lot of uh, good attention to detail. Like I particularly love the uh, "Don't shoot him again," just like the casual mention of like "Don't shoot him again," and of course the imagination. Like how many times has he talked to Brendan Gleeson? How many times does she just shoot him? And he's <laughs> killed himself out of frustration. Like, it's so fun to think about the movie. And yeah, I guess there's plot holes if you go really deep, but the fact that it's as intelligently made as it is, is still well, way more than it serves. Which is like, it, which is funny to say it's like how intelligently made it is because it's not like, it's not the first of its kind, you know? There was no, Groundhog Day before it, which granted, you know, such a different setting. Very like, different you know, genre too, in fairness. I, I I kind of want to talk hey, about. Can you like, imagine Bill Murray in this? <laughs> we have Bill Murray instead of Bill Paxton. I think you could do it. That, uh, <laughs> I kind of want to yeah. see how, like, you know, like how this guy stacks up, at least for you, against like other like Groundhog Day movies, like this. This is the best Happy, one. Ha I watched Groundhog oh, yeah. Day. I think it's good. I don't think it's great. Have, I think it's have good. Have you guys seen uh, a Russian doll? I don't know. I still, I, my, I need to watch it. It's on my list. Okay. I, haven't seen it. I, I haven't seen the second season, but the first season is unironically one of the best things I've seen, uh, especially on Netflix. That's like, it's heard. phenomenal. And mm -hmm. Natasha Leone is, she's incredible. She's so underrated. She is absolutely hilarious. And that is a really well made show that kind of does this same. Uh, Obviously, in a different setting, and yeah, that's the trick, uh, right? It's like it, it yeah. you're also, using the gimmick um, for your own purposes. There's also Donnie Darko, kind of, maybe not quite. You could argue, kinda? I suppose. Well, Palm Springs, have you guys seen the movie Palm Springs with uh, J.K. Simmons, no Andy Samberg? That's a great movie, actually. That was one of my yeah. favorites of 2020, and it's I've heard good movie. things, yeah. It's very I, funny, I but also like very interesting philosophically, too. I was pleasantly surprised. 
I feel like maybe there's a, a future episode here. I know Groundhog's Day is literally coming up in February. Um, oh, it's Groundhog Day, Day again. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we'll do this episode again. <laughs> exactly. We'll just review Edge yeah. of Tomorrow again. I'm going for that. Yeah. Edge of Tomorrow, Groundhog Day, and Happy Death Day. Yeah, Happy Death Day Ooh. was fun. That was a guilty pleasure. I was surprised by... The sequel sucks actually, ass. Actually, the sequel was so I, bad. I, I, yeah. The sequel looked like it would have... Like, here's the thing. It's like, I saw Happy Death Day at a free screening because I was like, oh, there's no way that I'll like pay to see this movie. But, you know, there was a free screening on campus, so I went to see it. And I was surprised by how much I liked it. And I was just like, oh, that was cool. I, I was actually very pleasantly surprised by that. And then when I heard that there was going to be a sequel, I'm like, oh, that's going to suck. I'm not seeing that. Like, don't, I don't even don't I don't care it. how much. I, yeah, no, I don't even care how much I liked the first movie. I know that just like that movie shouldn't have a sequel. It was fine on its own. You know, it's like, yeah. you, you, you tax lightning in a bottle. It's not going to happen again. You know, no. Well, you know what, also... this novel, this novel damage worked once. It's not going to work again. Well, yeah. I saw there's also a new movie out now, and I believe it went to uh, Peacock streaming, um, but it's called Meet Cute, and uh, it, it's okay. a romance. It, it's a repeating day uh, romance film with Pete Davidson. So five point <laughs> six IMDb score. Good, good shit. Oh, wow. There's also oh, it, one it, with like. There's also one with uh, Adam Devine and Alexander Daddario. What the fuck's it called? The uh, Night We Met or something? There's a, been a lot of attempts, but only some of them work. I think the ones that work best just try to be good movies that happen to have a gimmick instead of movies that rely solely on the gimmick to be good. There's well, no, there was, uh, isn't it right? romantic? It's basically a girl's like in a, in a romantic comedy, and it's all, it's all very self-aware. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's not a loop movie. That's basically oh. she's trapped in a movie. Like, she's trapped no, in a movie. No, but when I, when, I, when I was watching, I'm like, why did I feel like I've seen this like a thousand fucking times before? That's <laughs> <laughs> a generic and cliche. Yeah, it, oh. it's just another, like, if we just admit that we're bad, you know, nobody can blame us. Wink, well, wink. Yeah. yeah. When oh when when we first met uh, is a repeat like repeating day movie with Adam Devine and Alexander Daddario who she would be the only reason that I would ever watch this. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Uh, wow, tomorrow uh, gets a nine out of ten. I was gonna give an eight point five, but you only live once instead of over and over again. So you know what? It's a nine. Love it. It's great. It's underrated. Nine. If you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. Nine point six. Ooh, very nice. Uh, uh, I'm gonna say nine as well. Whew. I'm gonna push it to a nine point seven. Oh, god damn! Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I I don't know if we liked an action movie this much since Mad Max Fury Road, and maybe Casino you know, Royale. Like we all gave you know, Mad Max Fury Road tens on that episode. <laughs> you know, it's funny. The first the first time I saw. Oh, sorry. Go oh, no, ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I was disappointed I didn't get to be a part of the uh, Mad Max episode. You still need to watch that. Please watch it if you haven't. <laughs> I, you know, I may do that. Uh, do it. In the downtime. Wait, you haven't seen, yeah. wait, you haven't seen Fury Road? No. I, I missed it when it what? came out. Yeah, I know, I know. Dude, that know. is like, you know. Which is funny, which is funny because I was honestly like, I wasn't like, I wasn't a fan the first time I saw it. I was just like, eh, it's okay. And then my roommates were like, what do you mean it's just okay? And I was just like, it's okay. And they're like, no, we're watching it. 
<laughs> watching, like, what? I watched it again. I'm like, what the fuck was I smoking? This movie's awesome. I yeah. that happened with me in, in the Suspiria remake. I watched it on feeders, and it's like that kind of sucked. I watched it again. Oh I'm like, this God, is a no, masterpiece. What the fuck? <laughs> Why Suspir- is this so Sus- good? <laughs> uh, so they're playing the original Suspiria uh, around mm-hmm. here on Sunday, and Goblin is going to be there doing the score. Holy mm-hmm. um, oh, shit! That's kind of cool. I was, I was, I was gonna go because like tickets were originally fifteen bucks, but some asshole just bought up all of them and is like reselling. Oh fuck! I hate people do that. Come on, but yeah, if you're listening to this podcast and you do that, sell those tickets back. All right, come on, man. (laughs) It's Uh, it's Christmas coming up soon. Come on, like no, but you know, burn in hell. I mean, yeah, no, or burn the tickets. Yeah. Yeah, that no, should, just like, I don't think that should be allowed. It like, absolutely what's the should not be where tickets one should be able to sell. Yeah, once? it should. It should be illegal. To They're clearly just shit. blinded by money because sometimes they pay a little extra money. I think for those kind of bundles. I don't yeah. fucking know, but yeah, like they bought, know. like they. The same with like PS5s like, and next gen consoles. Like people, I feel like there's something going on behind. What the happened? Scenes. To, like what happened to buying something because you want it? <laughs> you know? uh, that's not allowed you gotta make yeah. money in capitalist america uh speaking of capitalist america thank you capitalist americans for watching this anti-capitalist Hello, episode the first days with more uh yes and uh you can catch us two weeks from now uh we'll be december the 8th uh we'll be doing our first winter christmas themed episode uh ian would you like to tell us what we're going to be watching so the theme of the christmas episode is chilling murder mysteries Uh, we're talking about sydney lumet's adaptation of murder on the orient express uh we're talking about christopher nolan's insomnia and to top it all off we've got room for one more it's tarantino's hateful late baby it's uh, Sydney Lumet. Sydney Lumet. I, I, I keep. Canadian. Well, we're Canadian, Canadian. right? <laughs> French, yeah, so that's the French Canadian sensibility seeping through. <laughs> uh, so, also, uh, yeah. on the, a side note, um, on December. Uh, hang on. Uh, December 3rd. On December 3rd, uh, I'm also. Going to be hosting a uh, open-ended best of 2022, best and worst of 2022. Not the best and worst films of 2022, but I do have a list for that as well. But of the podcast, I'd like to share, oh. like, if you guys are available, I'd like to uh, stream, like, the best movies we talked about on the podcast, best movies we were introduced to, movies that got better on rewatch, movies that got worse. Just talking about the podcast this year in general, okay. because... A year in review. A year yeah. review is a good way of putting it. Uh, I had the blast doing the podcast this year, and uh, yeah, we've been through a lot, and we're so happy that you guys were able to stick through it. And, and uh, I'd like to share that with you guys, and I'll also be uh, live streaming Muppet Family Christmas on YouTube because why not? Uh, John Milfinger to Disney, extremely based. Yeah, I'm extremely based. Based. And, and of course, December 22nd, uh, or at least around that time, uh, I'm Dev and I are going to squeeze in Avatar The Way of Water. I'm also going to watch the uh, Guardians Christmas special. And hopefully Stephen can uh, squeeze in those movies too, because we're doing a poll discussion on the state of Disney, because they had a, uh, shall we say, 
interesting year <laughs> this year. We're going to see how well, the Guardian special and after the Boy of the Water hold up in that discussion. Well, that's going to be um, Daryl's uh, panel discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may do something on the 15th. I may hold a poll for uh, Christmas episodes. Nice. Uh, or, or or Christmas movies that you guys would like us to review. That's our user selected episode of the month. Uh, we have pretty we much not just vote for Hallmark movies. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that <laughs> oh, again. That was... You know, last year I watched like a Christmas Prince, which is like one of those like shitty like Hallmark oh, Christmas yeah. movies. Oh yeah. I... I thought like, oh, why don't I subject myself to like a? Why don't I do like a deep dive of shitty holiday movies? So I watched Happiest Season and A Christmas Prince, and after just two of them, I was like, I can't, I can't do any more. Like, <laughs> oh god, uh, Nathan. I, I, last year, last year, we we did we did an experiment where I had us all watch a random Hallmark movie. It's like all of us would just go watch one. We don't tell each other what it is, and then we try to get together and talk about it as if we all saw the same movie. Uh, fun. Uh, and, Nathan, uh, I want to ask you a question before we log yeah. off. Uh, sorry, uh, hang on, I'm trying to think of the... Uh, it's like, uh, uh, Nathan, with your nose so bright, will you join our poll discussion later in December? <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I mean, there was a for effort. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we've pretty much got something uh, planned for all the weeks in December, with the exception of uh, after the 22nd, we're going to take a much-needed uh, Christmas vacation. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for having me again. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, yeah, great episode. And uh, is it first day yet? Have a great night, guys. Stay tuned for Good Conan. Night and, and stay tuned for Conan O'Brien. And do your best.